Good evening. Let me welcome you out to our Wednesday evening service here at Mountaineer Missionary Baptist Church. Uh, we're going to be looking at Romans chapter 6 this evening, if you'd like to go ahead and be turning over that direction. We're talking about the, uh, the process of sanctification, about how we overcome sin, and about how we become one with Christ. Before we get into our lesson this evening, let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Most kind, gracious, heavenly Father God, Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to preach your word this evening, Lord. We thank you for your, your love, your grace, your mercy, Lord, that you've poured out upon each and every one of us, Lord, to bless us with another day of life, Lord, and the chance to study your word. We thank you, Lord, for your precious word, Lord, that we know within it that your power resides, Lord, and we know as you promise us that it shall not return void. We pray, Lord, as your word is preached and taught this evening, Lord, that it would touch the hearts of those that are here, Lord, that they would grow closer to you, Lord. And if someone would be unsaved, that would bring on the Holy Spirit power of conviction, and that they would submit their lives to you before it is everlasting too late. Lord, we pray, Lord, for this world, for this um, horrible disease that is plaguing our existence right now. Lord, we pray, Lord, that you would supernaturally remove it, Lord, from our midst, that we may give you all the praise and the honor and the glory, Lord. We pray, Lord, for those that are working right now, those essential workers. We pray, Lord, a hedge of protection around them, and you'd watch over them, Lord. And we pray, Lord, for those that are sick and inflicted, that your healing hand would be upon them, Lord, and you would pour out grace and, and mercy upon them and their families. Lord, be with the churches, Lord, as they preach your message, Lord, through technology, whatever means they may find, Lord, and help us be your hands and feet. Lord, we love you, we thank you, we praise you for everything, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, and amen. All right, Romans chapter 6, uh, starting in verse 1. The Bible says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in grace that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead into sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign your mortal bodies, that ye should obey in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness as uh, unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin, because we are not under the law, but under grace? God forbid. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey? His servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death, or of obedience unto righteousness. But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. I speak after the manner of men, because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as ye have yielded your members servants to uncleanness and to iniquity, unto iniquity, even so now yield ye members uh, servants to righteousness unto holiness. 
For when ye were the servants of sin, ye were free from righteousness. What fruit had ye then in those things whereof ye are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now being made free from sin and become servants to God, ye have your fruits unto holiness and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I know it's a lot of reading this evening, but that's all of chapter 6. And, and, and I wanted to, to cover the entire chapter 6 this evening because uh, it's very fluid and it needs to be preached and pro preached together. As we have been looking at the book of Romans for the last few weeks over podcasts and over video, uh, we have learned about the doctrine of justification by faith that Paul taught to the church in Rome. And one of the reasons that we teach this book of the Bible this particular time is because I feel there's a lot of things that we as Christians look at as being critical, being crucial, but in the reality they're traditional. There's a lot of times even man-made and not biblical all the time. Doesn't make them wrong, doesn't mean they're, uh, they're sinful, but what it does mean is sometimes we fight and we nitpick and divide over these things that really aren't even in the Bible to begin with. So when Paul, the reason we use the, the book of Rome, when Paul was writing this letter, that's what this is, the book of Rome is one continuous letter to the church in Rome. Uh, this was a new church, and Paul was trying to give them the basics of the Christian faith, that they could truly understand what had taken place when they were saved. If we want to be truly honest with ourselves, when we are saved, when we are born again, we really don't understand what completely happened. And I don't know if we ever fully get a grip, a grasp of it, even up to the point of death, because we are continually growing, continually uh, growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord. But if we really want to accept the facts, even up to death, we are somewhat ignorant because God reveals everything to us once we are in his presence. We only get a mere taste of the goodness of God here on earth. And as we looked at chapters 1 through 5, it's a continual teaching of the justification by faith. In chapter 6, we see Paul kind of change a little bit, and he goes from justification to sanctification. Uh, justification being what makes you right with God. Remember, as we taught, just as if I never sinned. And sanctification being the continual cleansing, setting apart process that God does through us. Uh, we are spiritually sanctified the moment we are saved. In other words, when we are, when you are saved and you're born again, that's as saved as you're ever going to be. Don't matter if you've been saved for 80 years or saved for 8 seconds. You're saved. It, it is to be set apart to be a part of the family of God. But once you are saved, there's also a progressive sanctification that takes place by the inner working of the Holy Spirit in your daily life. You see, Paul was greatly concerned that the church in Rome, this young church, and imagine establishing a new church that had never, didn't have any elder Christians in it. This is a brand new faith, a brand new thing. There was no one really there in the church that had been a Christian for a long period of time. So the whole church were babes in Christ trying to figure this thing out. And Paul is concerned that when they learn this doctrine of justification by faith, that it's going to become something that becomes abused because that it goes directly against the teaching of sanctification. Sanctification tells us that once we are saved, that is a starting point for our Christian walk and that we are continually sanctified by the working of the Holy Spirit. You see, Paul starts us off with a rhetorical question in verses 1 and verse 2. 
where he tells us, he says, What shall we say, and shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? This is a direct reference back to chapter 5 in verse 20 where it says, But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Now, here's what happens with people. And I've heard adults and children alike say, use the same statement where they'll be practicing some sort of sinful action and you'll say something to them and the first thing they say is, Well, God loves me. He's going to forgive me. Why worry about it? I, I, I'll pray about it. I'll ask for forgiveness. I'll repent later, maybe they'll say. But the thing is, repentance does not just mean to stop doing something. Repent, if you look at the Greek definition, is a change of mind. And to repent, that means we have to change our way of thinking about that action. We have to change the way we think about our sin and realize that to repent, we are accepting God's way is the right way and that man's way is the wrong way. The Bible shows us that salvation cannot take place outside of repentance. Once we are saved, once we are born again, and God begins this work in us, he creates in us a new heart, he creates also in us a new mind, which means that we view things from godly eyes and not from the eyes that we once did. You see, we are born into a sin nature, but when we are saved and we are born again, the idea of living in unrepentant sin is grotesque. It should be something that we can't even fathom to think about. But yet, how many people do you and I both know that live in constant unrepentant sin and want to claim the name of Jesus Christ as their Savior? Folks, I don't know about you, but if something is my Lord, that means it has control over me. That is not to say that Christians don't slip up and make mistakes, but what that is to say is that we do our very best to follow him. And we're going to look at some things that has to take place for progressive sanctification to take place. The first thing we need to look at this evening is we must die out to our sin. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 3 says, For the time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lasciviousness, lust, excessive wine, revelings, banquetings, and abominable idolatries. So Peter tells us in his book that we were all in the sinful state, and we're not going to single out one certain sin. What we're talking about is the universal sin nature, the universal nature that we have to feed into that sinful man that we were. You see, when we're looking at sin nature, that's what we inherited from Adam. And we all have different sins we battle. And not one sin is any worse or any better than the other sin. Jesus clearly teaches that. When they, 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 he tells them that um, if they hated someone in their heart, they murdered it in their heart and they are a murderer. And to look at a woman and lust is commit adultery in the heart and they are adulterers. So even though we may not do all these things with our hands, our heart and our mind, a lot of times is the most sinful parts of our body. And if we're going to die out to sin, we can't just die out to the easy sins. A lot of people think it's because they don't drink, they don't do drugs, they don't have affairs, uh, maybe they don't cuss, that they're not sinning. But they may be the most greedy, hateful, uh, uh, ill-willed person on the face of the earth, and I hate to break it to you, but that is just as guilty of sin as the drunkard on the street corner because you are still going against the very will of God. 
See, in verse 6, we see that the body of sin must be fully destroyed. And this body of sin is not our outward body, but this is the corruption that is within our body. We inherit corruption when we are born from Adam, and we desire the things that please the flesh. And as we grow and get older, we see things and hear things and, and, and experience things that feed into that fleshly desire for sinful things. And as that fleshly desire is in there, that fleshly desire is the root to which the axe must be laid, that it must be rooted out of our bodies when we are born again. You see, the point when God saves us, we have to begin to grow in our Lord. We have to outwardly restrain ourselves. You know, if we gave in to every thought, every desire, every action that come through our mind and our body, the world would be a very dangerous and terrifying place. That we restrain ourselves because of moral standards that society teaches us. But when we're saved and we're born again and we're taught the Word of God, we must restrain ourselves based on what the Word of God teaches us. Yeah, God is not going to knock that beer bottle out of your hand. But he teaches you that you shouldn't be doing that and not to pick it up to begin with. You have a choice to make every single day whether to give in to your old nature or to overcome it and to do the things that God has called you to do. But not only do we have to restrain ourselves, we must intentionally weaken these sinful habits. When you are saved, I guarantee you have sinful habits. And every individual that's ever breathed the breath of life has certain sinful habits they battle. And it's different for every single one of us. And you know what? It's none of my business what your sinful habit is. It's none of your business what my sinful habit is. But we should personally, every single born-again believer, be doing our best to squash and to do away and to weaken those sinful habits and to encourage and edify and build up good godly habits. You see, not only do we sin, but we serve our sin. When we are uh, unsaved, we give in. That sin is a Lord over us. It is our master. And you may feel today that you're a good person and that your sin is not mastering over you, but think about some of the sins we commit that we don't even realize, such as gluttony. A small child is not to be taught to lie. A small child lies by nature. They will make up every story under the heavens and the earth for their parents to try to get out of trouble just by their own nature. It's there. It's built in from birth. They get it all the way back from Adam in the garden. But it takes work. It takes obedience. It takes discipline to squash those habits. In the same way as the church, we should not be surprised when a new believer in Christ struggles at first to squash from the sinful habits they commit. And if you are a born-again believer and you are not praying for the, for the uh, growth and edification of these new converts, then shame on you because you are sinning. Too many times we see older Christians sitting back and say, well, I don't think they'll ever make it. I don't think they're going to last a week, two weeks. I see them going right back out into the world when really it is our responsibility to ensure that they don't. We are our brother's keeper. It is our job to pray, to uplift, to look out for, to watch out for other, the other folks in the faith. A lot of times we're too busy trying to disciple uh, people that are outside the faith that needs to be converted. They can't be discipled because they know the Spirit of God is not within them. And we're neglecting the very people around us 
because we're ashamed to talk about each other's sinful problems. When in reality, we should be trusting each other with our sinful problems. We should be the accountability for each other's sinful problems. You see, the only reason that we can overcome our sin, the only reason that we can die out to our sin, is because it was made possible by our union with Christ. When we are saved, when we are born again, when we're justified, this is what we learned in chapters 1 through 5, we are made one with Christ. We are, we are one and the same, the same spirit that rests in every born-again believer, and that's where it talks about baptism here. They're not just talking about water baptism. We're talking about baptism of the Holy Spirit. When we are saved, we are converted the Holy Spirit of God comes to live within us. He, he, he is part, just as part of us as anything else is. And as he comes to live within us, we are made one with Christ and we're made one with the church. You see, Christ is not only our substitutionary atonement, he represents us in his death and his burial and his resurrection. And no, his burial is not part of his saving work. It just shows that he died. His resurrection is not part of his saving work. It just shows that death could not hold him. But all the same, it is something represents something very special and important for us because our sinful man, the old man, dies out just as Christ died on the cross. Just as Christ died on the cross, when we allow him to become a representation of us, our sinful man dies out just as Christ died. And just as Christ resurrected, as we'll see in a moment, we will resurrect and walk in the newness of life. You see, death sets people free. When a master, a slave master, dies, unless there is someone to inherit his slaves, those slaves would go free. You are a slave to sin, but when you place your faith in Christ, that master your sin dies out. You are no longer enslaved to that same sinful nature. You are finally, truly free. A lot of people don't want to be saved. They feel like as a Christian you're enslaved to the church or enslaved to God or enslaved to, to avoid sin. But that's not true. When you're lost, you are slaved to sin. He is your bondmaster and you are his servant. But when you are saved, God actually sets you free from sin that you have a choice. In fact, you don't even have free will up to the point that you are saved because all you can do is serve sin. You have, uh, he is your master. Now, once you are saved, once you're born again, sin may oppress you, it may uh, chase you, it may entice you, but you now have the choice whether or not to let it rule over you. You see, when a sinner sins, we should not be surprised. They have no choice. That is their nature. They, they don't have the Holy Spirit to pull them, to lead them, to chastise them, to convict them. All they have is the fleshly desire, that desire to sin that they received from Adam. But once you are saved, once you are born again and you, you've been set free from that bond master, you have a new master, which is the Lord. You see, the Bible tells us we can't have two masters. We've got to choose this day who we will serve. Will you serve Sin, will you serve the devil or will you choose God and choose his way? But we each have a choice we have to make. You see, it is sin that made us mortal. It is sin that brought death upon us. It is sin that brought corruption upon this world. The reason there's thorns, the reason we have to work to earn a living by the sweat of our brow, the reason that women experience pain in childbirth, the reason that we have diseases and viruses and destruction and war and famine is all because of sin. Now, if sin brought all these things upon our existence, why do people want to serve 
sin. I don't know about you, but when I choose who my boss is and choose who I'm following after, I don't want to follow a person that brings death and destruction. I want to follow a person that brings grace, mercy, and life everlasting. But too many people today are choosing the first. They're choosing. They want to follow sin. They want to be involved in drugs. They want to be involved in premarital sex. They want to be involved in pornography. They want to be involved in, in, in alcoholism and, and, and everything else that's going on that's enticing our people um, into this relationship with sin. You see, our body was fearfully and wonderfully made, and we have a choice who we allow to use it. Now, God wants, it, wants to use it as a tool to spread the gospel. God wants to use it as a tool to bless people. God wants to use it as a tool to minister into the world that each and every born-again believer, whether you're a man, woman, or child, whether you're 8 or 80, has a position in the kingdom to serve. But again, we have a choice. Our body is to be a weapon to war against the devil and against evil principalities and the things that are trying to ensnare our world. But we have a choice. And too many times we see people in the church that is making the choice to allow their bodies to be served by the devil and not God. Now remember, this isn't about relationship. That relationship's already there. They've already been born again. They've already placed their faith in God. But they allowed the devil to get in their head. A lot of them start with a whisper in the ear, then it gets into their mind, and that mind starts controlling their actions. And sometimes they even think they're doing good things. Uh, however, if we look at what the Bible says and what he desires of his people, a lot of times we see that these good things aren't as good as people want to make them out to be. A lot of times they're uh, actions of the devil. A lot of times they're taking and they're making God look bad by the very things they are doing and the things they are saying. Uh, by using foul language, by being hateful, by treating people poorly, by talking against other churches and other pastors and other Christians. Uh, so many things that Christians do that we should not be doing because we're allowing the devil to get a hold of us and use us. You see, the Bible says that the devil is the accuser of the brethren. Are you accusing your brethren or are you loving on your brethren? Are you helping your brethren, praying for your brethren? And I'm not just talking your local assembly. A lot of people are going to hear this that attend a lot of different local assemblies. Are you praying for your brother and sister in the workplace? Are you praying for the church down the road or up the road that may need a little bit of help? Maybe somebody's without a pastor. Maybe someone's uh, having trouble with finances in the church. Maybe whatever. We need to be praying about these things. Not gospel, not talking about, not busybodying but praying about these things. You see, the way to do better, the way to, um, to live the life that God wants us to live is not just to die out to our sin. We have to die out to our sin, but we also have to live through Christ. You see, Paul says because Christ lived, we are to walk in this newness of life. In other words, when we are saved, the Bible says that we are becoming a new creature. And when Jesus uh, taught this, we see time and time again, he's talking about newness, about rebirth, about uh, being reinvented. And because when a believer truly comes to faith in Christ, a supernatural work takes place in his heart. And he is uh, given a new, I don't want to use the word new nature, because that Adam nature is always somewhat there, but we are given the ability, the opportunity to be set free from that master of sin that we can choose 
to follow God and choose to walk in newness of life. I think of Paul here. When we talk of Paul, we look back at the book of Acts. Remember, Paul was originally Saul, and Saul was a Pharisee. In other words, he was all about the law, and he had a job, and his job was to persecute the church, to hunt down Christians, and to help them be prosecuted or even killed or murdered. In fact, he cheered them on while they stoned Stephen to death. But yet we see Saul finds Christ, becomes born again, and begins to go out to preach the gospel. And now we're reading his teachings here to the church of Rome. In fact, he wrote most of the New Testament. That could not be done by Saul, the old man. It could only be done by Paul, the new man, because the Holy Spirit of God comes to live within Paul and begins to guide, direct, convict, and chastise, and to help mold him into the new creature. You see, when you become saved, you become born again, you're like a piece of pottery. And the Bible describes us as a piece of clay, a broken vessel, and God is that potter, and he begins to mold and work on us. He begins to knock off those rough edges to form us into a fit vessel to carry the gospel of Jesus Christ out to a, a lost and dying world. And anyone who thinks they can be saved and born again and that a supernatural change does not take place in their life, is, is that's not biblical Christianity. Biblical Christianity says when you get saved, when you when the Spirit God comes to work comes within you, the Bible says it begins to perform a work in you, and it will continue that work up to the day of our Lord, up to the day of judgment, up to the day, up to the end, that work will continually work in you. The kids sometimes sing the song, He's still working on me to make me what he wants me to be. Well, that's true for every born-again believer. When you get, truly get saved, he begins a work in you, and he'll continue that work up to the end of your life, be it through the rapture, be it through death. That work will continually grow you. Now, that doesn't mean that that work is always uh, uh, without fault because a lot of times we get involved in that. A lot of times we allow the flesh to creep in again and entice us and have us go back and make mistakes and sin. But for a believer, when they sin, the conviction of God will come upon them and they will see the error of their ways and they'll repent and follow after God. See, there's times I, I, I make mistakes and I look at my life and even Paul said, Paul said the more he tried to do good, the less he was able to get done. And the more he tried to avoid doing bad, the more bad he actually done. A lot of times when we, when we get in the way, we make a mess of situations. But we allow God to rule and reign over our lives. Allow God to rule and reign over our actions. It's awesome the things that God can do. You see, the love of God should rule in your hearts once you are saved. Once you are justified, it should create a new love in you for the things of God. I can remember back for me before I was saved, I love the things of this world. I listen to music I don't listen to now. Um, I've, I, I just That desire was gone from me. I had no desire to listen to gospel music. I had no desire to attend church. I had no desire to study my Bible because the Spirit of God was not in me. That love was not placed in my heart um, when I, like when I was saved. And that's why we shouldn't be surprised when our lost neighbors, friends, and loved ones don't have a desire to go to church. They don't have a desire to read the Bible. They don't have a desire to listen to preaching or to gospel music. They don't have a desire to do the things of God because the Spirit is not within them. That love has not been placed within them. You see, it's not about you improving yourself. It's about you placing your entire faith and trust in God and allowing Him to work through you to change you, to make you what He wants you to be. We need to take ourselves out of the equation and allow God to be the one that receives all the glory. Because whatever that is good about us has got nothing to do with us. It's all about the inner working of God in our lives to make us 
what He desires us to be. In fact, the only thing we contribute to the equation is the sinfulness of our lives that makes us have a need for a Savior. And that Savior is Jesus Christ, our Lord. I want to quote the great theologian Matthew Henry where he said, The only way to sweeten a stream is to sweeten the spring that it comes from. We think about water that is flowing. When water flows out of a stream, if the, if the, the source of the stream is bitter, the water coming out will also be bitter. You may change yourself certain parts of yourself. You may even put on good action for those around you. Uh, you can fool a pastor. You can fool your family. You can fool everyone to thinking you're saved. But in the end, what is done in dark is brought into light. When you face God in judgment, He's going to know whether you're putting on an act or you really trusted in Him for your salvation. He's going to know whether you're just trying to please your family, friends, and loved ones or the church. He's going to know whether you were born again. And unless you be born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God, the Bible tells us. You see, just as Christ died for our sins once, we must also die to our sins once. As Jesus died for our sins, we die to our sins. And just as Christ lives forever, stood at the right hand of the Father, we should forever live through Him. We should allow Him to be what God's every thought, action, uh, word, statement we do. And sometimes that means saying things and, and, and taking a lumping from the world, and that's okay. Because it's not about pleasing the world. It's not about looking good, looking tough, looking uh, successful or whatever else. It's about being what God would want us to be. It is not us living for Him, but we are living in Him when we make our members tools for righteousness. Just as we read there in the Word that we can use our tools to be uh, to war against God and for the devil to, to reign over them in the same way, the born-again believer can allow his members, his mouth, his eyes, his ears, his hands, and his feet to be tools used for God's glory. Yeah, you know, I know right now we can't attend church, but you know what? You can do a whole lot of home Bible study. You can do a whole lot of um, at-home devotion. You can do a whole lot of praying. You can do a whole lot of worshiping. You can do a whole lot of, of intimate worship with your family that we probably all neglected when we were coming to church three times a week. But you know what? You've got nowhere to go right now. Most of us don't have any job to even go to. How much more time do we have that we can dedicate to God? And I guarantee most of us are probably sitting at home thinking about uh, getting online, playing games, doing whatever, watching TV, goofing off, when in reality we need to be using this time for God. And third point, the final point, we will also be united with his physical death and resurrection one day. You see, just as Christ died our mortal bodies will also one day go away. It doesn't matter how healthy you are. It doesn't matter how well you eat. It doesn't matter what minerals and nutrients and vitamins you take or how many doctors you see. Your body has got an, an expiration date on it. This world has got an expiration date on it. And someday we will put off uh, mortality and take on immortality. Someday we will receive a glorified body at just as the Lord's if we are saved and born again. But whether we are saved or unsaved, whether man, woman, or child, one day we will leave this world in which we are living in. And just as Christ put off mortality, so will we. And just as cause Christ rose from the grave, someday so will we. And we have a place prepared for us. Jesus said he was going to go away, prepare a place that where he is we may be also. In his Father's house are many mansions. You see, and we can't even comprehend the greatness that is heaven, uh, how we will have every need fulfilled there through God. 
We will not need medication. We will not need doctors. We will not need funeral homes. We will not need pharmacists or anything else. We will have no aches, no pains. In fact, we will not, not even have a, a sadness about us because of God and the fact that we're in the very presence of God. See, not only does sin cut us off from heaven, not only does sin condemn us, sin severs our uh, relationship with God. And while when we're saved and we're born again, we have a relationship with God, and that's wonderful to have a relationship, but how much more awesome will it be when we're in the presence of God and we get to experience the fullness of His greatness? You see, let us not forget also where God has brought us from. As we look at verse 20 and verse 21 where it says, For when we were, for when ye were servants of sin, ye were free from righteousness. What fruit had ye then in those things where ye are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. Paul is quick to remind us, while we've been justified and while God is progressively sanctifying us and cleaning us up and helping us grow in him, let us not get full of ourselves and ever forget where he brought us from. Because every single one of us deserved death. Every single one of us was sinful, wicked, wretched creatures. And I don't know about you, but I'm still pretty wretched some of the times. There's things I do that I think, yeah, you know, that was pretty good. I'm glad I, I got to do that. But there's plenty of time I look in the mirror and I see Justin based in the center. Because I'm still in the flesh, just as you are still in the flesh. We still have sin battles every single day. And we don't need to look at the person that needs Christ and see them as being a problem. We need to look at the person that needs Christ and see them as the mission. Our mission is not to condemn. Our mission is not to talk about, to judge, or belittle. Our mission is to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. I cannot tell you who is saved. I cannot tell you who is unsaved. But I can tell you I have a mission to sow seed. And that seed is the gospel. That Jesus Christ died that we may be forgiven if we place our faith in him. Not because we deserve it, but because our God is a God of grace and mercy. And he is patient and long-suffering. When we look at verse 22, let us not forget why we can do these things, where it says, But now being made free from sin and becoming servants to God, ye have your fruit in holiness and the end everlasting life. The reason you can produce anything good for God is because of what God is doing through you and in you. You see, it is not because you're a good worker, because you're intelligent, or because you're talented. It's because of God and who He is and what He is doing in your life. The reason that you can be holy in any way, that means to be set apart, to be different. The reason there is any holiness to you is not because of your holiness, because of God's holiness, that He is working through His Holy Spirit in you. And man, that last part there, the blessing of everlasting life. Some of our greatest fears we talked about is death. We are living in a nation right now, at least the next two weeks, we'll see more death than maybe this nation has ever seen. But anyone who is born again, no matter if you go by, if it is, it is some disease that kills you, if it is old age, heart attack, whatever it is that kills you, if you are truly saved and born again, while your fleshly body may die out and go the way of the grave, your eternal spirit will live in the presence of God forever as where your soul will go. You see, we are not created to be temporary creatures. We are created to be eternal. And you will be eternally somewhere. If you are saved and born again, you'll be eternally in heaven, living with God. And if you're unsaved and you face the judgment, the white throne judgment, you eternally be in hell with those who rejected Christ. 
Verse 23 tells us what we deserve, where it says, For the wages of sin is death. In other words, wage is what you earn. You earn death by the, the work that you do. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. You see, we all deserve hell. We all deserve death. We all deserve to be cast aside and rejected by God because we have rejected God. Every time we sin, we have rejected God in one way or another. But the only reason we have any fruits that are worth anything, the only reason that when a Christian appears before the judgment seat of Christ to receive crowns for his work for the Lord, the only reason we receive anything is because of what God has done through us and that we have submitted to him. And that is why when we see in the book of Revelation that the church will cast their crowns back to Christ as an act of worship because of their love for him and what he has done. The reason that the church escapes the white throne judgment is all because of the death of Jesus Christ, the sacrifice, the price that he paid. The Bible says about the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. In other words, you can't find forgiveness for the sins you've committed without the death of Jesus Christ. And because of the death of Jesus Christ, the one that John the Baptist called the unblemished lamb of God, the sacrifice, the perfect sacrifice that was made, you have an opportunity to have every sins, past, present, and future, fully forgiven, be justified in the sight of God, be at peace with God. We learn in chapters 1 through 5, because you have placed your faith and trusted fully in Jesus Christ. It is not through any work of man. In fact, our works is what messes it up all the time. And we even see that in verse 14. For sin shall have no dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. We are saved by grace through faith, Ephesians 2. It is, uh, it is through the sacrament, it is the work of Christ. When Christ was on the cross, before he gave up the ghost, he cried out the words, It is finished. Because the entire process that needed for mankind to be saved was finished on the cross. And when we look at the Greek, when it says that, it's actually an atonement word. Think about a debt. If you have a debt to pay, someone has to pay that debt, and then it's marked off your account. You have a debt to God because of the sins you have committed, are committing, and are going to commit. And if we place our faith in Christ, God declares our debt paid in full because Jesus takes our sins on the cross of Calvary, that we could be completely forgiven. Folks, that can be yours today. If you're simply willing to place your faith in Jesus Christ, you can be fully saved. Have your name recorded in the Lamb's Book of Life and know that your eternal destination will be changed from hell to heaven. That, And here's the beauty really of it. That God forgives you not only knowing what you did, not only knowing who you are, but knowing all the mistakes and the sins you're going to commit in the future, God is still willing to forgive you and justify you and make you a child of His. The Bible says when we are saved and born again, we become co-heirs with Christ. Which means everything that Christ was, receives, we receive because we're co-heirs with Christ because we place our faith in Christ and become children of God. Folks, let me encourage you today that if you've never been saved, or maybe you don't know beyond the shadow of a doubt you've never been saved, 
You need to place your faith in Christ today. We don't know when Jesus is going to return. We're, we're in very strange times right now, and, and we know the world is growing more and more wicked every day. We know Christ come back at any moment. Not only that, but you something may happen. You may lose your life at any moment. And at that point, it is too late to make the decision for Christ. But we need to take this time, as the gospel has been preached, as you have heard, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ is the only cure for your sinful state. You need to make the decision right now to place your faith in Christ and to identify with him. Folks, God sent His only begotten Son, John 3, 16, For God so loved the world, He sent His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Do you want to live forever? And when you leave this world, live forever in the presence of God, not only escaping hell, but gaining heaven. You can only do that through and by Jesus Christ. The Bible says He is the door to the sheepfold. In the book of Revelations, He says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, are you willing to open that door? That door is open by faith. Will you place your faith in him and accept the payment that he made for your sins? The Bible says it is a free gift of salvation. You need to place your faith in him. And the Bible says confession is made unto salvation. Not only should you place your faith in you, you tell others that Jesus Christ saved you and that you are now a child of God. See, not only does he justify us, he also, as we've learned today, he sanctifies us. If you're here and you're a Christian and you, you're not submitted yourself to him fully, you need to let today be the day you make the decision. You know what? I've been said I've been born again, but I'm not being the Christian that I'm called to be. I'm called to be more than this. Folks, you can sit back and say, I'm, I'm, you know, I ain't nothing I can do about it. I am what I am, but that's not true. If you are saved, God is on your side. He is this Holy Spirit is within you, and He can make anything possible. We have to be willing to submit to Him. So I want to encourage you, if you're not serving God, not doing the things He's called you to do, let today be your day of repentance and place you and, and fully submit and surrender to Him. Not just in faith for salvation, but follow Him in sanctification. If you've heard the message today and you you decide to give your life to the Lord, decide to place your faith in Christ, we encourage you to send us a message uh, through the church Facebook page or through my personal Facebook page. We'd love to talk with you, share some things with you about uh, growing in the knowledge of our Lord. Uh, we will be back Sunday morning um, giving a message. We're going to we'll take a break from the book of Romans. We're going to do an Easter message Sunday morning, so we pray it be a blessing to you. I, I, it really breaks my heart that we can't be together in fellowship. I will greatly miss each and every one of you. But we know the Lord is going to bless us, and, and we'll be back together real soon. Keep praying for those that are out there that are doing their best to, to help people uh, during this difficult time. Be praying for the churches. Be praying for those that need salvation. We've got a lot of people in our uh, community that is unsaved, that needs to be saved. Let's be praying for them. So as we close out, let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Let's kind of graciously follow. We thank you for the uh, lesson and the message from your, your word today, Lord. We pray, Lord, as your word goes out, that it convicts that it draws the Christian closer to you and the person nearest hell. Lord, we pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit conviction would fall upon them with power and authority, Lord, and they would fully place their faith in your Son, Jesus Christ. We know it's only through you that we can be saved, only through you we can be sanctified, only through you that we can grow. Lord, we thank you. We praise you for all you do for us, Lord, we know it's all by you. We love you, we thank you, we praise you for everything, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, and amen.